Sunday morning, reaching towards the afternoon, and me bopping in my ACU. And I'm on my way to church with a double cup. Hold up, both cups. Show no shame in Jesus' name, man. When I say hold that shame, I mean hold that shame up. Hi. Let everybody see it. They see it anyway. And for those who can't even see it, guess what? God saw inside of you and still let you in the door? Do you realize what that is you walking in? That's that forgiveness. That's that favor. So quit beating yourself up. Come as you are. The doors of the church are open. This is church with a double cup. And I'm none other than your brother, XL Wilbur, reporting to you live from your side. I thank you guys for joining me again for episode 10. <laughs> we made it to 10 episodes of church with a double cup. And for you who are just now joining us for the first time, welcome. And this is the Bible study podcast that questions God. And when I say that, don't run off just yet. Let me explain. When we read God's word, it don't always make sense to us from the jump. So what we need to do is ask questions, raise our hands, inquire of God, ask the Holy Spirit to guide us. And this is what we do every week on this podcast. We take a chapter a week, break it down verse by verse, give historical facts. We don't do assumptions. We don't do theories. We may mention them, but we don't go off of them. We use the word on the word to put God's puzzle together, learn his nature, and learn what it really is he's telling us in his word. So with that being said, welcome once again, and let's jump right into it. We are in a new series. We're talking about the reason this month of December. We made it. 2020 couldn't take us down. December, we here. Last month of the year when people thought they weren't going to make it. So with that being said, we're going to start it off. With the reason for the season. You got to know, it ain't going to be a Christmas story the entire month, but we're going to talk about the reason for the season. That is Jesus, the birth of Jesus Christ. And so when we talk about that, I had to think of a way and ask the Spirit to guide me in what way would I go with this series? Because there are different stories of Christ's birth, and then there are prophetic mentions of Christ before his time. So we're going to do that. We're going to add those in there. So today we're going to start off with Isaiah 7 where it mentions the birth of Jesus. And we're going to dive into that thing, put word on word, and make everything fit together. We're going to understand it. And we're going to do it every week. We're going to have another chapter that talks about it and goes in detail. And eventually we're going to go to the story of Jesus' actual birth in the New Testament. So yeah, it's going to be real good. We're going to move it out. And the Holy Spirit is going to guide us through the whole thing. So with every great Bible study, let's start with a word of prayer. Thank you, Lord, for bringing us together. Thank you, Lord, for this platform. Thank you, Lord, for this forum. Thank you for this day's journey, whatever it entails, because right now we get to come see you. We get to come talk to you. We get to come learn more about you. So we thank you for this community. We thank you for the community of believers all across the world. Eyes have not seen and ears have not heard, but yet and still, you stand strong. You are the Almighty. You keep us in your care. You care enough about us. We thank you for the audience. We thank you for just allowing us to come talk to you directly. And through the sacrifice of your son, Jesus Christ, made it all possible. May the Holy Spirit guide us through this lesson plan, through these episodes where we talk about Jesus being the reason and really understanding what it was for him to be hatched into the world. So with that being said, thank you, Lord, for another day's opportunity to speak your word, divide your word rightly among your people. Amen. So as we start this series here in chapter seven of Isaiah, I needed you to understand something about me. I'm one of the most motivational and bright-sided people you may ever see. But at the same time, I don't like the holiday season. <laughs> I don't like the holiday season. Why? Because people get fake and people seem to be one of more. It's so commercialized now. Like the, the reason isn't there no more. But I make sure I do, do what I need to do for my household and make sure that the reason is pushed out. That's why I'm glad I have this platform because I'm able to push that out now. That's why I call this series The Reason. 
because we need to know the reason for this holiday season that we take for granted and that we so commercialized about in this country is the birth of Jesus Christ, his coming into the earth. That's what the reason is. So right here in chapter seven of Isaiah, we're talking about a prophetic sign of Jesus coming. He's not even in the earth yet. This is just a prophet saying he's on the way. This is what's going to happen. So we're going to break down this chapter right here and starting off in the NIV version. And if I go to a different version, for those of you who are new to the game, then I'm going to let you guys know if I do go to a different translation to push a point. So starting from verse one, when Ahaz, son of Jotham, the son of Isaiah, was king of Judah, king resident of Aram, and Pekah, son of Ramalia, king of Israel, marched up to fight against Jerusalem, but they could not overpower it. So the first question I had is, hold up, who was Ahaz? And it's like, it seems like he has prominence. As I read through the chapter, I'm like, who is, who is this guy? Why, why is he so prominent in this chapter? Then I went to 2 Kings 16, verse 2, that says, Ahaz was 20 years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem 16 years. Unlike David, his father, he did not do what was right in the eyes of the Lord his God. He followed the ways of the kings of Israel and even sacrificed his son in the fire. Engaging in the detestable practices of the nations, the Lord had driven out before the Israelites. So this dude already had some hate in his blood. He had some weight on him. He had a name out there for not being a man of God. So, and diving into the things that were not godly. So this is the kind of person that we're talking about. And it'll kind of make more sense as we go into the chapter why he got the message that he's about to get from the prophet Isaiah. Then verse two says, now the house of David was told Aram was aligned itself with Ephraim. So the hearts of Ahaz and his people were shaken as the trees of the forest are shaken by the wind. So he said some people was at his head and him and his people done got shook. All this stuff he done done. And now he's getting people coming at him. Matter of fact, two countries coming at him, two kingdoms coming at him and him and his people shook. Verse three, then the Lord said to Isaiah, go out, you and your son. Shir Jashub. So I'm going to tell you how prophetic this guy Shir Jashub is because he, Isaiah named his son that, as it translates as to a remnant, will return. So this is prophetic knowing that God's going to deliver. Right here in the kid's name. He said, bring him with you. Because I, I want that to be clear. And he said, take your son Shir Jashub to meet Ahaz at the end of the aqueduct of the upper pool on the road to the launderer's field. Say to him, be careful. Keep calm. Don't be afraid. Don't lose heart because of these two smoldering stubs of firewood, because of the fierce anger of Rezin and Aram and the son of Ramalia. And so it's like basically God's telling them they want the smoke, but that flame getting put out, though, is basically what he's telling. <laughs> the message he's telling Isaiah to give Ahab, say, man, don't get scared. Because these, these, they, they talk a lot of game. They got a lot of smoke they say they want, but at the same time, them flames getting put out. I got you. Verse 5, Aram, Ephraim, and Ramaliah's son have plotted your ruin, saying, Let us invade Judah. Let us tear it apart and divide it among ourselves and make the son of Tabil king over it. Yet, this is what the sovereign Lord says. It will not take place. It will not happen. For the head of Aram is Damascus, and the head of Damascus is only resin. With 60, within 65 years, Ephraim will be too shattered to be a people. The head of Ephraim is Samaria, and the head of Samaria is only Ramalia's son. If you do not stand firm in your faith, you will not stand at all. 
Now, I don't know about you, but I can take a hint. <laughs> and when we got to make it plain like that, ain't no it's straight no chaser. He's basically like, yo, yeah, them some evil dudes over there. I see them. They reckless. They got a lot of bark, but no bite. See them? They on that trap or die. And you ain't living like that. I need you to be on that trust or die. And when God tell you something like that, if you value life, you know what you got to do? Got to straighten up and fly right, man. Ain't no way around that. And then when you look at verse 10, it says, Again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz. Ask the Lord your God for a sign, whether in the deepest depths or in the highest heights. But Ahaz said, I will not ask. I will not put the Lord to the test. And I was thinking, how are you going to tell God no like that? Then I had to put myself in his shoes, right? How many times I done done that? Well, God been like, trust me, I got your back. Then I'm like, all right, throw a couple stacks on me, then we'll see what's up. Looking at God outside, like he, like he owed me something. I done been there. And I know a lot of y'all have too. When I had to put myself in his shoes, I realized that. Like, uh, it ain't so, so far off from reality. And though he may have had reasons why he told God no, I was thinking about the other instances where I heard this same phrase, don't put the Lord God to test, don't test God. And that was one instance when Jesus replied to Satan when he was tempting him in the wilderness in Luke chapter 4. And he said, do not put the Lord your God to the test. And then in my research, I found out that Moses also said this very same saying to the people of Israel. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 16, we said, do not put the Lord your God to the test as you did at Massah. And Massah, the event he's talking about was in Exodus chapter 17, where he received water from the rock while they were crying out, hey, uh, we thirsty. Is, is this God going to keep providing for us? They was like doubting. him, like, yo, um, how are we going to, you bring us, did God lead you out here to bring us to die? Is that what the plan was, Moses? So they was like real anxious, real, real rebellious. And they was like, man, where your God at now, man? Because, yo, we, we thirsty and we ain't seeing nothing happen, man. Make something happen, Moses. And he said, don't put the Lord your God to the test as you did back there. Because it's not favorable in God's eyes. But here in chapter 7 of Isaiah, he's inviting Ahaz to prove it. Prove me in this. Come on, man. Look, ain't nothing too big for me. If you, I, I know you're scared, and you need proof that I'm going to deliver. So name it. What kind of miracle do you want to see? What kind of sign you want to see? And he's telling him, nah, man, I ain't going to put God to the test. He's like, nah, I'm putting it out. And what, what I think we need to emphasize on this part is not why Ahaz said it the way he said it, but that God was actually putting himself out there to say, man, name it. Name it. Name the sign you want to see. What's going to make you believe that I'm going to deliver you and your people? Then verse 13 says, then Isaiah said, Hear now, you house of David. It is not enough to try the patience of humans. Will you try the patience of my God also? So Isaiah basically came back at him like, yo, they already want your head. They already want your head. And you want God on your head too? Yo, like, seriously, think about this. It's what Isaiah is basically telling Ahaz. And then verse 14 says, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. And those of us who have done our studies and have been in, been in the Word for a while, we know that Emmanuel means God with us. It's the translation. And this is where we get a glimpse of the virgin giving birth to a son. There's been theory of virgin being translated from young woman, just meaning a young woman giving birth to a son. But at the same time, with a name like Emmanuel, names meant something back then. Names meant things. Like we seen the Shir Jasheb earlier in the thing. He said it was a remnant will return. He was it was prophetic. So for somebody to be named Emmanuel, it might have been somebody right there at that time where a woman gave birth. 
and it was the name was called Emmanuel, but at the same time, he was telling them that God will be with you. So we look into it to connect it with this being a prophetic sighting of Jesus. Now check this out. Matthew chapter 4, 21. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. So those two verses right there, they coexist, they correlate, because it's basically putting this prophecy in chapter 7 of Isaiah, verse 14, in line with Matthew, chapter 4, verse 21, where it says, this is what's going to happen, Joseph, and it's going to happen because this was said by the prophet way back when. So check that out. There's a correlation right there. There's no reason to guess that there's a correlation between those two verses anymore. It's not just some random guy named Emmanuel. It's talking about Jesus Christ right here. Then you got verse 15. It says, he will be eating curds and honey when he knows enough to reject the wrong and choose the right. And before the boy knows enough to reject the wrong and choose the right, the land of the two kings you dread will be laid waste. So I was wondering about this. I get what it's saying, but... Why the mention of curds and honey? What, what does that part play? And so I'm looking at verse 16 as we go to the Message Bible. And it says, by the time the child is 12 years old, able to make moral decisions, the threat of war will be over. Relax. Those two kings that you have been so worried about will be out of the picture. So by the time this child will be born, and by the time the child is able to make its own decisions, these kingdoms will be laid waste that you're scared of right now. He said, that's going to be the sign for you. Right there. So verse 17, as we go back to chapter 7 of Isaiah, it says, The Lord will bring on you and on your people and on the house of your father a time unlike any since Ephraim broke away from Judah. He will bring the king of Assyria. So I had to ask God this. I'm like, where Assyria come from? Like, for real. You just said you're going to deliver him from these other two kingdoms. And now you're going to tell him Assyria is a problem he got to deal with now? So I'm trying to find out where God is going with this. And he's actually showed me in 2 Kings verse, chapter 16, verse 7, where Ahaz actually asked Assyria for help at one time. And it says this, Ahaz sent messengers to say to Tiglath-Pilassar, king of Assyria, I am your servant and vassal. Come up and save me out of the hand of the king of Aram and the king of Israel who are attacking me. So these two kingdoms that were trying to attack him, he's already... Try to solicit Assyria for help. And God's telling them, watch yourself. And in some studies, as I researched this, it actually said that this prophecy came before he actually solicited to Assyria. So that means he practically still went and solicited to Assyria. And it just said that's the way the Hebrew text reads. It reads backwards a little bit when it comes to that. But this was something that had already happened prior in the Bible. But this prophetic word came to him in chronological time before he made this move. So he's telling them right now, yo, them going to be the ones I, I used to bring you down. So don't fool with them. Don't go for them. Let me do my work. Then verse 18 says, in that day, the Lord will whistle for flies from the Nile Delta in Egypt and for bees from the land of Assyria. They will all come and settle in steep ravines and in the crevices in the rocks and all the thorn bushes and at all the water holes. In that day, the Lord will use a razor hired from beyond the Euphrates River, the king of Assyria, to shave your heads and private parts and to cut off your beards also. 
So this is an example I knew had to be a sign of disrespect because I know people in the Middle East, they hold beards in high regards. But when you look at it on the word side, we get an example in 2 Samuel chapter 10, where it says, When David's men came to the land of the Ammonites, the Ammonite commander said to Hanan their lord, Do you think David is honoring your father by sending envoys to you expressing sympathy? Hasn't David sent them to you only to explore the city and spy it out and to overthrow it? So Hanan seized David's envoys, shaved off half of each man's beard, cut off their garments at the buttocks, and sent them away. When David was told about this, he sent messengers to meet the men, for they were greatly humiliated. The king said, stay at Jericho till your beards grow and then come back. So it shows you the level of humiliation that that actual action took on them. That, that, that what kind of embarrassment they faced. Because David said, man, don't even come back. Don't even come back until your beards grow back. That shows you the level of respect and the level of authority and the level of notoriety those beards gave, gave men. So. God is basically, in sense, telling Ahaz, yo, them people that you're trying to run with, them people that you're running to for protection, they're going to play it like prison. They're going to play it like prison because you're trying to run to them for protection, but they're going to have your men wearing miniskirts here in a second. And that was just as real as it got. It says it right there, examples <laughs> in the word. He said, yo, the people you're trying to get to protect you are going to have your men wearing miniskirts. <laughs> and there was an example of it right there with David's men. Pure example. He was saying it. Assyria. You get in bed with them, they're going to embarrass you. So as we go along in chapter 7 of Isaiah, verse 21, in that day, a person will keep alive a young cow and two goats. And because of the abundance of the milk they give, they will be curds to eat. All who remain in the land will eat curds and honey. And so I tried to think about it. Um, why does this part right here matter? Because it says a young cow and two goats for a land of people and he says right there, all who remain in the land. So that means whoever's left, that's going to be enough. The abundance of milk coming from that young cow and those two goats is going to be enough to feed whoever's left. That's, telling, that's saying something. And he goes on in verse 23, yeah, verse 23. In that day, in the very place where there were thousands of vines worth a thousand silver shekels, there will be only briars and thorns. Hunters will go there with bow and arrow, for the land will be covered with briars and thorns. And I had to think about it. Lord, where the hunters come from? And I was, <laughs> I was like, oh, why, why are the hunters prevalent right here? And he showed it to me in the Message Bible, verses 23 and 24. But that's not the end of it. This country that used to be covered with fine vineyards, thousands of them worth millions, will revert to a weed patch. Weeds and thorn bushes everywhere. Good for nothing except for hunt, perhaps hunting rabbits. So it's going to break down the whole land. It's going to look bad for them. Then verse 25 says, As for all the hills once cultivated by the hoe, you will no longer go there for the fear of the briars and thorns. They will become places where cattle are turned loose and where sheep run. So he's telling him further. God is giving him this message further. Ahaz, you fool off with Assyria, this is what they're going to do to your land. The land, the vineyards, all that beautiful scenery you see right there, yeah, yeah um, that's going to be a place where people let their animals loose at, trampling all over your nice grass. Because ain't no grass going to be there. Ain't going to be there but briars and thorns. <laughs> He's basically saying they're going to take it down. Your beautiful landscape right there that you have right now is going to be gone. It's going to be a weed land, thorn bushes, where people let their animals roam free. And he said, if you, you go this route, that's what you got to look forward to. And the whole time we're talking about 
the things that are happening to Ahaz and the things that he's being prophesied from Isaiah is basically to sum up the fact that Jesus being born was the sign that he gave this unbelieving king, this scared king, this frightened king. God still came and talked to him and told him, hey, what sign do you want? And wasn't no bigger sign he could have gave him than the savior of the world coming. He was just talking about saving him from those kings. That's all Ahaz was thinking about. But he had, God had a bigger picture in mind. Y'all see that? The one sign he did give this, this king, this frightened king, this unbelieving king, was the king of kings coming into the world. That was the sign. Since the king Ahaz didn't come up with something that he wanted, to God, wanted God to show him to prove it, God says, I already got something that's going to cover you anyway. Don't even worry about it. I thank you guys for joining me again this week. I thank you guys for even letting me join you on your journey, wherever you are, wherever you are listening to this. I thank you guys for being receptive, having the heart to want to know more about what God's telling us. And this is the first episode in the Reason series for December. We're doing this all December long. So next week, we're going to have another chapter talking about the reason for the season, the birth of Jesus Christ and chapters that are surrounding that. We just seen how it, it was in prophetic form, where before he even touched earth, just the mention of him being born was impacting kingdoms. And you did what I'm saying. And it's only going to get better from there. So I thank you guys once again. I thank you for your time. I thank you for your patience. I thank you for your diligence to want to know more about God's work. And with that being said, this is Church with a Double Cup. I'm none other than your brother, XL Wilbur. I pray you peace on your journey. Bless. You have just listened to Church with a Double Cup, the podcast, hosted by XL Wilbur. This show was recorded in Wilbur Dome, North Carolina. The theme song... It's Church with a Double Cup by Jeep Reach. XL Wilbur can be followed on social media outlets, Facebook and Instagram under XL Inspiration and the XL Wilbur YouTube channel. Website soon to come. Thank you for your continued support. Bless you. Yeah, I'm leaving out the church with my double cup. Back to Rikers Ave, all my people know what's up.